0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Taste Washington. With more than 235 wineries, 65 restaurants, and some of the nation's most talented chefs, Taste Washington is the ultimate taste test. Learn more at tastewashington.org.
0: I'm HRN's Communications Director Kat Johnson with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating Valentine's Day. Whether it's your favorite day of the season or you avoid it like the plague, there's no debating. It's a big day for the world of food and hospitality.
1: Valentine's Day is what we uh, refer to in the industry as a blackout day.
0: I don't feel that my manlyhood is threatened when I order a glass of rosé or, God forbid, a rosé champagne.
2: It's an old Jamaican drink from way back. And we just decided to bring it back into existence. A drink that the men, they believe it really does wonders.
0: Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Pascaline Lepeltier. We'll talk to Pascaline about the whole world of wine. We'll taste a couple of fun things for our weekly wine sip. Pascaline brought in a Pinot Donise from the Loire, which we'll talk about, and we'll be sipping a pet net during the show. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. All right. Our guest is Pascaline Lapeltier. Pascaline holds a master's degree in philosophy and is a master sommelier. Pascaline worked her way in wine and restaurants in Europe and to the U.S. in 2009, landing at Rouge Tamat. She recently received the MOF. How do I pronounce that? <laughs>
3: I'm not sure you can pronounce it in English. In fact, but de France. Yeah, you,
2: uh, yeah, I, the,
3: you can't really pronounce the acronym. Is what I heard because it's kind of a slang word that is not very polite. Okay. But you can say it's uh, um, meilleur. Ouvrier de France.
2: Meilleur ouvrier de France. Let me finish the intro. Which translated is the best craftsman of France, and they have multiple categories. And Pascaline got it in the sommelier category. She also received the best sommelier of France. Um, these are two of the top awards in her field, and really, she's the only woman to receive them. Pascaline also makes a Finger Lakes pet knack called Shapeka with Nathan Kendall. She's co authored The Dirty Guide to Wine with Alice Ferring and is the managing partner at Racine's in New York City. Um, in my mind, Pascaline is one of the most respected, admired, awarded, and loved people in all of wine. So, Pascaline, I want to welcome oh. you back to the Grape Nation. Um, the reason I asked you to come on is this is our 100th show and I couldn't think of a better person to ask than you, except I kind of effed up It's really our hundred first show because I don't know how to count but technically you're you're my true love and this is you know our hundredth show. So that's why you're here. Um, so welcome and Thanks. welcome back. Thanks. All right, so you've had a pretty remarkable two thousand eighteen. And, you know, rolled right into uh, 2019. Congratulations on all that. Let's talk about some of your recent accomplishments. Um, the first being the MOF, the Melior ouvrier de France, or whatever You're it sure. is. Yeah. And the Best French Sommelier Award. Um, let's start with the MOF. Um, I don't think a lot of people know what that is, um, so let just tell me quickly, you know, what it is. And I'm really curious about the process. What do you have to do? Is it time-consuming to study? Is it a long test? Give me a little background on that.
3: Yeah. Um, so um, the MOF um, is something very specific to France, and I get that in my mind since, in fact, almost I started to work uh, in, in the restaurant industry. So for people outside of France, they don't really know what it is. It's uh, it's a recognition created by uh, some people in the 1920s in France when they realized that some of the crafts were not recognized to their to their real value. And the idea was to do an exhibition for craftsmen like carpenter or tailor or glass and say, oh, there is real talent and tradition and excellence in this field. And... The, the, the state should recognize them and they should do a masterpiece
2: and there's many many categories you mentioned Absolutely. a few that are so diverse
3: there is more than 200 categories today wow. and some of the most famous are the chef for example so Monsieur Joël Robuchon was the MOF, Monsieur Paul Bocuse was the MOF. So the idea of that is not a, like um, a competition, it's an examination where the idea is you are excelling through years of experience in your field, that you are recognized by your peer, but also by the education Nationale, with like the, 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 the state itself. You go through a series of tests where you are showing your talents, but also your ability to mentor, to understand the tradition, and to foresee the future of your craft. And it's a very, very well-respected diploma in France. You can see it when you visit France. There will be, a, in a window, you are allowed to wear the color of the country. So you have the little flag that you can put on your window or in your uniform. Um, and it's really, spe- I think, something very special. And I was really, it was one of the big objectives of my career one day to be an MOF, yeah.
2: Um, is it a competition? Or... How, how does it work?
3: No, absolutely not. It's an examination, and it's a very fair examination. Are you
2: invited or you apply?
3: So you apply. You need to have a certain uh, a certain age and experience in your right. field, and then you apply. And it's a very public. It's like the states, France, the French state is organizing the the diploma. So you, so you know, in, in type of um, of test you're going to have, uh, you go, you apply, you go, and then there is a first round of qualification uh, that happened in uh, January two thousand and eighteen. Uh, we went through. Um, some um some tests, some service tests, some tasting tests, and a lot of theory, but the thing is not only familiar theory it's more about culture, so right. I had question about a poem, and I need to know which poet wrote that or which was the minister of agriculture or what was the lit what was which church was in a picture that was in a vineyard, so it's really about knowing. The wine in its cultural context in Everything France.
2: that encompasses it. Yeah, and right.
3: gastronomy, and you can see so the sauce and the prepare, like everything. So that was the first round, and we were like a uh, think more, a bit more seventy-five or eighty, and we were nine to be qualified to go to the to the right. final. Uh, and the final was in September, and the final was a mix of um, like we don't realize a masterpiece as a sommelier. Like so, right. when you are a pastry chef doing it, or when you are a chef doing it, or when you are—I was mentioning carpenter. So they are telling you you have to realize a masterpiece, uh, and we don't really have that for us. The so other
2: things have more tangible yeah, things. Yeah, tangible you're saying. things. Right.
3: Uh, so our masterpiece is to do a service. So the final uh, is in two parts. You have nine, seven to nine tests that are going to be theory, blind <laughs> testing. Classic thing, also um, management negotiation or how to train your staff or how to make (coughs) cocktails or stuff like that, more classic to competition, but always with a more like broader spirit. Like, for example, I had a blind tasting of a dish. So the the task was you get into a room and you have a dish and you are, of course, graded by MOF chef and somebody and the whole like top, top, top of the industry. And they're like, okay, so can you tell us about this dish? When do you place it in the history of French gastronomy? Who created that dish? And then you have a wine list. And they're like, out of this wine list, which wine would you recommend with that dish and why? God, and the, the depth. which, 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 uh, which other pairing would you do? And the dish was a, a dish created by Alain Sandrins, for example. And Alain Sandrins created a special pairing for that dish with a sparkling wine with a Champagne Blanc de Blanc. And it was only one Champagne Blanc de Blanc on the wine list I was given. So you had... so you. I, you need to know the dish, you know wow. um, so that's, that was half of the notes, and uh, the real the real masterpiece is you have a real service. so um, you are given um, a, so uh, it's it's like a four to five hour service. You discover that the, the morning off you are given um, a commis and a chef de rang. you met them an hour before service. Wow. you discover <laughs> the menu an hour after serv- an hour before service, you discover the wine list an hour before service. And then you are graded from A to Z, where you are graded from your ability to do the lineup with them, to prepare the, your your tables. And then you do a service to of two tables, the full service, and you are graded. Um, and that's that's a big deal. And uh, that was very scary. <laughs> is, was this, very scary service. is
2: this a multiple-day test?
3: Yes, yeah, that went on two days. It yeah. did.
2: And there was a lot to it. Obviously. Well, congratulations on that. I think he gave people a little idea of, you know, how intense it is and how broad, Um, which leads me to the best French sommelier, which you also won. And I think that goes back to a little more tradition of tasting theory and service. Is that how?
3: Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah, the, the best French is in that case. Is, it's a competition, uh, and so it's all the tasks that you know that you have seen, like you know, the competition. Right. Um, so yes, a bit more broader and very French. This year was cool because we did also have to do coffee service and beer service and all these kind of things. So, and it's on stage. Um, but that was a bit more classic. I think the MOF is really the the, the the most difficult because it's not only you knowing. You can be the best tester or having incredible. So many theory, but if you're not a good manager, a good host and a good teacher and good mentor, you will never get the MOF. It's really right. showing your ability to give back your knowledge to 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 other in your in your field. So
2: was that something you wanted to do too? Go back to France and compete? the best sommelier like why wouldn't you compete best u.s best world can you
3: <laughs> so best world maybe in, in three years okay uh, two uh, next and, year okay <laughs> <laughs> no no why because you know um i i always want to learn more and i think it was time for me to continue to learn more and that challenge of the mof especially so i passed the best french but the first french was i uh, i decided to do it just because it was at the same timings than the mof so i could train for both at right. the same time and it was a. An, more training just for me and I happened to win so it was fantastic but um, I'm I think I'm just always searching and to learn more I was just going to
2: say you like the idea of being pushed to have to learn new things and new challenges to round out you have an appetite
3: uh, yeah, I think so. And then for the MOF, especially, and my position right now between managing and teaching, I realized that being away from France, I also forgot a lot of very important things in terms of the French traditional uh, ex- way of serving wine and thinking about wine. Right. And going back to the MOF, it took me a real. I, it was a two, uh, two and a half years preparation uh, for both exams. Uh, so, and it was a daily, daily preparation. And I read so many books about about heart of pairing, about the history of my country, about culture. I totally forgot. I went into training with a bunch of people that I would have never done that otherwise. And I did that because I knew if I wanted to be better at my job today with my team, with my guests, it was an amazing opportunity for me to do so. And it forces me to do it. Um, I, I met really incredible people all over the world to train. I went to England to train, to France to train, I went to a bunch of areas, I went to Canada to train, to California. And at the end, it's not the, the end thing is not having another diploma, which, you know, is great. it's great. It's, it's, it's the knowledge gained. It's a knowledge gain, and continuing to say that you can always improve.
2: Right. Um, and there are other opportunities and competitions and awards that will help you continue to grow, right?
3: I think so and I, I, I wanted to go back to France a little bit because I'm also French and I, I love my country and right. and uh, for me France is quite difficult to win. it was important for me to go as a woman and to, to win in France because um,
2: First woman, right? Yeah if, uh, To win that? To win both?
3: To win both. Right. It's yeah. a big deal, so was a re- Yeah, I, f- I think that was a... You know,
2: I mean, that, that's part of the, the deal, too. So, just a quick thing. So, a couple of years ago, you said you started preparing. So, a few years ago, you made up your mind that in a few years, I'm going to do this. So, I really need to carve out some time during the day and week and start prepping for this, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. So, in addition to that... Um, I think right at the beginning of this year, the French magazine La Revue d'Avon du France awarded you Personality of the Year for 2019. Very cool. And let's not discount the fact that you were the first person inducted into the Heritage Radio Hall of Fame (laughs) by the great nation. Let's not diminish that. That MOF, (laughs) (laughs) schmemo F, okay? Forget about that. All right. So... Listen, it's, it's been years where you've, you know, achieved and accomplished all these things. Um, I know you're a very heady person. Um, what I'm curious about is when you take all of this stuff, which gives you even more credibility, knowledge, recognition, respect, and all of that, what's the most important thing you could do now? Now that you have all this attention, all this respect, admiration, you know, what are the messages that you want to send out or what can you do? I mean, you mentioned the word mentoring more than a few times, but how do you take this cloud and, and, and really use it to the best advantages? Uh,
3: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good question. So, um, you know, I, I think I'm an extremely lucky person. I, I do the job I want. Um, I have an incredible amount of, of freedom and respect from my partners, and I can really create something at Racine with them. Um, but it's true that I did that also to have a bit more voice because I also feel a very heavy responsibility. So maybe it's not very fun, but I really feel that being part of the wine world and seeing... How wine is produced and how agriculture is done today, and how food and, and beverages are handled, I really feel that uh, I have to, to to help and to push a certain way of thinking of the future for all that. Uh, I really believe that we we live in a, in a crazy world in terms of food and bev, with we, we crappy food and like it's extraordinarily depressing to see.
2: Um, how, what, we, how we farm and how we
3: farm and, and I'm part of this, this industry I'm at the end of this industry because I'm feeding people in my restaurant and I'm giving wine to people to my restaurant and all that I'm trying to do today is to say okay you know what I tasted all this wine and I'm tasting always all this wine and all that and not only there is the wine that I deeply believe are better in terms of taste are also better for the environment and we need to support that. We need to help people to realize that they can change little things, little by little, not by going voting, like oh, by going voting, but doing right. something plus. And this is what I'm, I, I want to use everything I do so far is to to, to put on a table the the work of of really agriculture that is trying to give us a future for tomorrow because we are going into a wall. Like, if you really see about the extraordinary damage of the monoculture, intensive clonal agriculture, the overabuse of chemical fertilizer or chemical pesticide, it's not only just like words. It's, it's real. Really it's real. There is a direct impact to the environment. There is direct impact in health. There is direct impact in so many layers of the industry. Um, there is, it's not normal that the same company... On the seeding industry down to the medication industry. Like there is something really, really fucked up here. To the weed killing. To the weed killing. So there is something, and and we have, and I feel that responsibility, and that responsibility is leading by example, by teaching, by educating people to re-learn how to taste well. Because I believe it's not, not not only by talking, it's just by giving you something good, at a right. decent price because you support it. Maybe not a brand, maybe not something you know, but something that you're going to like and it's going to be good for you and good for, for the environment and, and for the social world. Like, So that, that that's my next... That's really what motivates me to do what I do is not to open wine for the one person. I don't... I, it's absolutely becoming meaningless. Um,
2: so is that... I had a question that was further down the list, but I, I guess the question is you know, makes sense now. How are natural wines and the natural wine move, movement doing now since you've been in New York for 10 years? What you've stated has there been an uptick in that? More interest? People are educated, they're interested. Is there still a long way to go? I mean, people like you are changing it. But but how is how is the movement?
3: No, that's extraordinary what happened with natural wine because everybody knows now. Like ten right, like ten years sure. ago, you had to explain. Like today, it's been mainstream. You saw it in like in press, in media, in magazines. So the, the world that's been there. So that's that's great. Um, but it's 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 just the big news. Maybe not enough because for most of people when you think about natural wine you are just thinking about an aesthetic and a certain taste of wine that we are going to say without any sulfur like to make something short but it's kind of forgetting uh, something also at the base which is the idea of doing wine with no additives is because you had really fantastic grapes and you had the right farming to allow you to do so and sulfur is not really a problem today what's the problem is how we grow the grapes
2: so I don't mean to interrupt, but now is a good time for you to give us your definition of natural wine, and you sort of covered it. I mean, it involves the farming, the winemaker, you know, agriculture in the cellar. I, I mean, what are the important, you know, elements that supports what's important to you?
3: So, unfortunately, I don't think natural wine is the right word anymore because it has been o- overabused over by also people that are trying to sell you wine telling, oh, it's natural because there is no sulfur. But they forget to tell you that the grapes are not organically grown or biodynamically grown or they forget to tell you that they may have had other additives that are not sulfur. So, unfortunately, the, the, the very good idealism and first first meaning of that word at the very beginning today is a little bit lost because there is abuse. By so, pe- how do you...
2: do, do you, you, you know? I mean, do you have a a reference? How do you refer to it?
3: You want wine with no sulfur. I can find you wine with no okay. Um What I... I, I kind of tend to prefer the word that sometimes Alice or uh, Alice Faring or even Isabelle Le Joron are using. I like vin vivant or live, like wines that are alive. Because at the end, this is the idea. It's a whole, um, the whole thing started when we realize that uh, people realize that Wine became so technical and chemical and analogically tricked because the quality of the grape was just not here enough to sustain the production and the volume. So they had to heavily intervene in a, vin- in, in a winery because the vineyard was overcropped and overabused. So the backup was... Poor agriculture. Poor agriculture. Uh, and so the backup was if we grow without all this artificial help from chemicals and fertilizer. Can we, we can probably produce grapes that won't need all this trick in the cellar. And he went back to that with also the idea we can also do it without sulfur because at the end we can do it with nothing. But the whole debate went on to that sulfur stuff and the taste and all that. And Too we, much
2: attention to sulfur?
3: Not No, it, it was just people were just, because it was maybe easier to understand, just they were on to that, okay, the main point is the sulfur. No, the, the main point is do we farm properly with a future for the soil that we are farming. And are we lying in terms of that? Because there is some people just buying grapes and they're absolutely not organic and they're gonna tell you there's no sulfur, but because they are right. cool and there is no legislation and like it's kind of a punk rock attitude, they are gonna you are going to believe it's natural, but you are gonna, if you deeply believe in this feeling of sensation of wine, you're gonna say, oh man, there is something wrong. And there is a lot of lie. There is a lot of lie everywhere in the right. wine world. And and unfortunately, it's so complicated to get transparency. There is no labeling. There is a couple of, of la- there is no official labeling of ingredients. There is a couple of certification that you can try to rely on. That if the guy like goes dem- Demeter, for, for example, that you know that this guy can use a list of product. You can go online, and say okay, so you can just use that, 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 and that. That's it. So you kind of know more what's happening. But at the end, the real question is if you are a farmer and if you want to make wine that are at, uh, with minimum intervention you need really to, to think about what's happening in your land and this is what I want to support it starts there, it starts there. Period. It's, it's what I want to support and there is so much so much lie. it's incredible and it's very sometimes depressing because because it's uh, it's it's a market and the and the natural wine market today became a really big market because there is such a success. We are talking about really, right. We are talking about money today, and so is it? You know, I'm. I'm
2: but a lot of the practitioners are I, not. I, I
3: know. I know people that are they're natural winemakers and they are buying wine like from somebody else that is absolutely not. Or like and they are putting their label on the label like you it's know the There same is, with there is food. no transparency you, you go so, into a
2: supermarket and it says natural it means nothing
3: so so that's the deal it's like how do we do what's it what so it's it's a concept today you went like we don't really know even when we try to know so um, what, what what's the future would who, what can we do to continue this movement because once again we go into a world if we continue to think about the the monoculture agricultural system we currently have. Do we need to drink less? Do we need to consume less? Do we need to drink better? Do we? And I believe in that, but that means that every person opening something needs to be satisfied with what that person is right. opening and drinking. So it passes by the education of the palate. And maybe uh, you, you won't be able to buy your fancy Chardonnay from, I don't know which way in the world, but maybe you are going to like this... Very other wine from that other grape that is not as famous and fancy for not that brand, but you know what, you're gonna really love it, and you are gonna be able to support something else, and that's 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 a big big fight today, and it's a, it's a it's a real fight. I have to say it's a, there is a lot of lobbying going behind our back, and uh, just to give you an example today in Europe. In France, at least, it's forbidden to sell heirloom seeds. It's, it's over. You have to buy seeds from specific catalogs. Same way, if you want to plant vineyard, if you want to have subjunction from Europe, you have to plant clonal selection, unless you buy, like, get some selection massal from your own vineyard. So let's say I want to plant a vineyard. I have my, my acreage. My neighbor has amazing old vine Chardonnay that I want to plant. And I say, oh, and they've been tested. And, you know, they're old vine. And I want to get a massal selection from that. It's not. I, I can do it, but I won't have any help from the state. I will have help if I buy clonal material.
2: That's so the only way. They'll the only support way. you, so if, you buy, if you buy. That encourages system. nothing. That
3: encourages nothing, and so this is where. And people don't realize how much now wow. we are. Our choices are more and more <clears> limited.
2: <throat> wow, that that that's amazing. I I, I didn't realize that. Um, and then you have people like Isabel who you know have a raw wine fair around the world and she sort of sets up some requirements restrictions mm-hmm. the wineries that participate fall under a lot of what you describe
3: yeah it's a, i think it's a necessity but it's also a necessity for us as buyer you know i think we need to be more demanding uh, if you want to like at the end if, if you want uh I, I i think we should because i think it's, i'm responsible for what i'm giving you to drink it's not, it's not, you know, no, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm getting, I'm going to give you something that you're going to absorb. Your body is going to absorb it. I think we have a very big responsibility toward that, you know. People don't give a crap. But I give a crap.
2: No, it's, I, I it's, know, uh, I know.
3: And I think we should be more aware of that as a, as I think chefs are more aware of that. I think there is yeah. movement with chefs and his, yeah. and sommelier in a certain way. I think there is definitely people that are totally following natural, organic, biodynamic, but th- this idea of having no sulfur absolutely kind of took them to a certain extremism that is not healthy. I don't think extremism are healthy. I think ideology are not healthy. So saying the no sulfur is away is not necessarily healthy. Everything is, is gray. Nothing is black and white. I don't like this idea of pure purity. And so instead of trying to get a, in the middle saying, oh, maybe this guy is putting 20-part or 30-part millions of sulfur, but the vineyard is extraordinary, and is working in permaculture, and is really trying to recreate a biodiversity. <coughs> you know what? I will, I will, I don't mind the 30 per million.
2: <laughs> right, that's that's <laughs> like, it's sort of inconsequential. It, 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 absolutely, the bigger picture is more positive yeah. and everything. Um, yeah. You know, there's places like your place, Racine's, Frenchette, Contra Wild Air, where, you know, the selection is incredible. But there's still, and I ask a lot of the psalms that come through on the show, the mainstream and legacy-type rec- restaurants, they're just not really interested. I don't think their clientele, you know, they want burgundies, which, by the way, some I mean, of those are practitioners.
3: But I think you, you, it's, I don't... I don't think you can say today you don't have the clientele because there is a, extremely high-quality wine made this way everywhere in right. the world. Right,
2: people don't realize that. So and you, for many everywhere. decades and maybe longer. Um,
3: yeah, at well, least for a couple of years. So if you're on champagne, if you're on Burgundy, if you're on Alsace, if you're on Burgundy, like they are here. Right. But they may not be the most famous brand, but they are here. Right. So if you really want to do it, you can do it.
2: All right. so let me just jump to another topic and let's talk about this one for a minute or two. Um, and we broached it before a little, um, how are women doing in wine today? Um, as an industry, um, are women getting their props? Are they still underserved? Um, what's your, it's a general question, but what's your feeling?
3: it's, it's, a, it's a in a way a tough question because I don't go out that much I, I talk with some of my friends and I see what's happening uh, it's sh- slowly but surely uh, what is sure is like there is way more talented women entering the industry that's indeniable more
2: here than Europe or both
3: it's starting to be more in Europe I have to say okay. I was very happy to see uh, when I passed the, the best French um, Philippe Forbraque the president of the French Somalia Association invited a bunch of schools and it was a fifty-fifty in the room. So in France, is moving. That's so great. I was very happy to oh, see that's that. Great, yeah. yeah. So a lot of young girls, so young women. Sign. It's happening, but it's happening yet. But you know, um, it won't be something that we can really talk about until we are achieving the rise to responsibility position. We need to be. We need to have a fifty-fifty at the head, at the head and of a that's country. It's, not, it's happening little We're by little. We're not there, though. We are not there. And this is what what we need to realize and to see how is it possible and is it possible that we become, us um, the CEOs, we, we, we become entrepreneurs and at the head of the business, we are owner of our place. Are
2: you positive it's going in that direction or it's still a little slower than...
3: I it's I think it's a it's not only for restaurant I think as a global thing it's still look uh, how many but it's getting better you know we have still women at the head of international institution and countries it's happening right it's happening but maybe one more generation with women that we want to make the change uh, so slowly but surely and when we will be there then we can also probably reestablish a different social organization that will also. Um, to, be, to, to have a family like you know just something stupid but like you're a mom and, and you have the kid like if you don't have the right system the social system or to, to make that possible right. to at the same time have the job and yeah, to also you're raise Yeah, you held at a
2: higher demand being yeah. a mom and, and a CEO and a
3: CEO where and a guy that. doesn't have to yeah.
2: worry about that for sure so Yeah, hopefully that'll change Alright, we're talking to Pascaline Lapeltier uh, Master Sommelier Managing Partner at Racine's um, we're going to take a quick break and Pascaline when we come back, I have a bunch more questions. We'll see if we could squeeze in our wine list and I want to taste the wine you brought in. So you're listening to the Great Nation. I'm Sam Ben Ruby. We'll be right back.
1: This episode is brought to you by Taste Washington, a food and wine lover's wonderland. Taste Washington offers the most wine and food from one single place in one single place, including samples from more than 35 wineries, 65 restaurants, 60 exhibitors, and some of the nation's most talented chefs. Each spring, attendees can drink and eat their heart out over four days brimming with specially curated events that highlight the best of Washington State. The result of a continued partnership between Visit Seattle and Washington State Wine, Taste Washington is taking place March 28th to 31st, 2019. Mark your calendar for this year's lineup featuring the Red and White Party, Taste Washington on the Farm, the New Vintage, Seminars, the Grand Tasting and Sunday Brunch. Learn more at tastewashington.org. Okay, we're back.
2: We're back with my guest, Pascaline Lapeltier. Um, Pascaline, I got a lot more stuff to talk to you about. Um... Day-to-day, you're the managing partner at Racine's, which is a terrific restaurant and bar downtown in New York City. Um, Talk to me about what's going on there now. There's been some changes. And talk to me a little about the wine program, of which of late you've had your hand in it. So what's going on there? It's certainly become a destination food-wise, wine-wise. It was always there and always did well. But I think now it's at the top of a lot of people's lists.
3: Yeah, thank, thanks for, for mentioning. Yeah, so uh, Racine a, is a really a, a great adventure. I been joined I joined the company like 10, almost 12, 11 months ago now. Um, and Arnaud Tronge created a place with David Lee from Chambers. He created something very special, like on Chambers Street opened more like a kind of a bistro like French bistronomy uh, wine bar with Fred Ducat uh, the original chef and Fred left us to open his own place in Paris called Rooster uh, and it seems like an amazing success the next time I'm in Paris I'm going to go there and so it was kind of a transition time we had Paul Lebrun with us as a chef in the residency for a couple of months um, it was really great to work with Paul um, brought a lot of attention of the food and working with such a, a talent was really special but now we are back to having our, our, our chef, an executive chef, and it's Diego Moya. Uh, Diego uh, was known because he had um, for last year, like, for almost a year, a place called Hemlock on the Royal right Side, uh, and unfortunately had uh, to close. And Serendipity and a friend met us cross path, and now Diego is with us. And I think it's a, I'm, I'm extraordinarily happy um, because I think uh, we are sharing really the same vision of food and wine. Uh, Diego is very heavily committed into an extremely tasteful f- type of food. He, he trained in France. He's like New York, like Long Island grown, but traveled the world, work in farms, studied permaculture, has a deep belief in what that means to cook the real ingredients, to work with the, the right producer. Also this idea of to use the whole ingredient itself to try to be as much as possible a no-west restaurant in terms of the ingredients. Right. Um, producing uh, in-house Butter, bread, and wow. using all the technical <laughs> fermentation, and he loves wine. So the idea is really finally we are kind of p- uh, putting together something that is very coherent, and what David and Arnaud started with with the program, and I think I, I, I even push it. Like <laughs> I was on the same thing, but a, a new energy, saying, "Okay, we, we want to work with." real farmers at, at every level from food to wine to to, to spirits to beer uh, where we know what we are giving to you what's the story behind it why that wine is on the list is because we know the producer, we visited it we have a direct relationship we know how they work, how hard they work what is their commitment once again to, 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 to preserving their land and so for you to have a very specific experience and What we are trying to do is, of course, there is names, there is fantastic, famous, iconic producer on the list, but also there is people that you won't know, and we are being searching, we are being pushing. So
2: David and Arno know their stuff. But you come in, what what kind of touches or what did you push for? or Was there not enough Shannon? I mean, uh, yeah, tell yeah. me some of the changes. There, <laughs> I, I, you grew up,
3: I grew up the channelist a lot. Yes, yeah, there is yeah. a lot, of, lot more Shannon. There uh, is. Uh, yeah, there so is that a... right <laughs> off the bat <laughs> there's
2: more. Bam. There's not just Shannon, there's Shannon, Shannon, Shannon. I
3: think we are like, I, I counted, I think we have 460 references of War Valley just on the list. Jesus. <laughs> I think we are the biggest Loire <laughs> Valley
2: list. So that's, is growing. that's one obvious thing. We'll what have... else? If, no, but, if, if people say you know Pascaline's touch, what else would you say since you've been there almost uh, a year?
3: I think you can see my touch in even a little bit more organic, biodynamic producer okay. uh, from um, areas of the world, uh, from from Eastern Europe, from um, other like less known area of France, I grew up also the Southwest list. Um,
2: so answer this question because yeah. you're so tell me. About some w- wines, winemakers, grapes, regions that are exciting you right now. You, Pascaline for the restaurant. Because <laughs> that's sort of what you were alluding to. And I think those yeah. are the wines that you're bringing in. We could probably spend two shows talking about it. But just give me, you know, a region or two, a wine, like a grape. Yeah.
3: Um, yeah, like we have been doing some research with, with David and Eben was really great. Uh, from everything white from the south. Uh, so looking for freshness in the south or so new plates in, in the Roussillon white Faugère, all these grapes that people don't really think about and they're making really fantastic so we're thing. talking
2: south of France Roussillon Rhone white okay a lot
3: of Rhone uh, okay. we've been looking a lot in the Rhone been looking also in Alsace Eben has been doing extraordinary work in Alsace and I have to say it's a bunch of new stuff and producer with him so Alsace is going to be a, a big specialty with really things that you can't find anywhere else um I, we are going to try to also have bring some special things from the southwest because I'm really a big, big, big Monsang freak. I love that grape. I think the southwest of France. Monsang? Monsang, yes. M O N S A N G. M A N. M A N S A N G. Yeah. So there is some special things that we are we are going to bring okay. from that. Uh, more people from the world. So we've been really focusing more on France for the moment. Because okay. Been well it's sort here. of the
2: wheelhouse of the restaurant yeah. you know french is where you're going to have your strength and all of that so
3: yeah and auvergne auvergne we are looking a lot in auvergne right now
2: so, so you answered that question well that's you packed in a lot there <laughs> um and as i tell all my listeners i'll post everything on our social media um the wines we talked about what we're drinking and all that stuff um so exciting things at racings for sure. Definitely a destination, like I said. You're also making an organic pet nat from native grapes up in the Finger Lakes. We're talking about Southwest France and Roussillon and, and but you're up you were just up there, I think, this week or last week, um, in the Finger Lakes and you're making a pet nat called Chepika, C-H-E-P-I-K-A, yep. with Nathan Kendall, who's a very respected uh, winemaker up there. Um, tell me a little about that. How many vintages have you made? What inspired you to do it?
3: Yeah, that's our baby project, our love, love project with Nathan. Um, the idea came when I was still at uh, Rouge, my previous restaurant, Rouge Tomate, when I was really trying to think about how can I have local wine that could be organic uh, and also, price-wise still be reasonable. And it was a very difficult question because organic certification <laughs> is quite rare in New York State. Um, and was brainstorming with... Na- my, I already knew Nathan and really liked the wine. And Nathan told me, listen, what about we trying to do something with some of... of our, they are called native, but they are real hybrids. They are original hybrids because they are not 100% American grapes. They are been crossed with Vinifera
2: but they're hybrids they're not native but they've been up in that area absolutely, for, for many years for a long time yeah absolutely
3: right. and so uh, and, and we said to look, and he found that organically certified vineyard where these grapes were used for table grapes and the two grapes they we thought about were Catoba and Delaware
2: What's the, the second one? Spell it for me.
3: Like the state. Delaware. Oh, Delaware. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sorry for my
2: accent. Are they both red or the Delaware they're, is white?
3: Those are pinkish. Like the Catawba is very pink. Um, That's and an old upstate
2: wine. Old upstate grape. I mean uh, grape. That's I mean, for sure. Katuba. But
3: it's, it's a historical grape of, and it was considered the first grape of American wine history. Because massive amount of wine were made with Catawba in the mid-19th century, sparkling wine in Ohio. <laughs> and I'm talking about million, million of cases. Really? And Nicolas wow. Longworth yeah, we're sending even the wine to France. Uh, so we decided to, to do that. And we made it a pet nut not because of the style, but because we, were, we didn't want to make a pet nut. We wanted to make a wine with as little intervention as possible and see, okay, if you take these grapes and that organic and you treat them properly, what, what can we do? And can we make, a, can we make something delicious? And yes, it could be delicious. And the best way in that two vintages, sixteen and seventeen, was to make it a sparkling. And sixteen was the first. Sixteen was the first. Sixteen and seventeen, so it was a, a pet nut um, because it just worked like that. The fermentation went very quick, and, and we you were the,
2: happy with the first vintage we were, the way the sixteen came out. We
3: were so happy. We were so surprised.
2: <laughs> you were. It was better than.
3: You yeah, thought. Yeah, yeah, it was, better than we, but it was the first ha- time.
2: Did you have to make any tweaks for the seventeen? Like no less, less. less. Yeah, and it, that's per, a great sign. Yeah,
3: less. Nothing like ten part per million at press for sixteen. Nothing for the seventeen, and for eighteen. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't there for harvest because I was in France for the exam. Right. And eighteen was not really complicated vintage in the finger legs. It was really, 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 as really far hard. As
2: weather uh, and sour
3: rot and like really? very rainy the second half were so, the
2: yields uh, lower
3: yields lower a lot of sorting a lot of sorting and so Nathan didn't feel confident to to do uh, the pet nuts so we, we made a rosé
2: oh great so a still rosé <laughs> this year is a still rosé okay so tell people if they want to try this the best places to get it
3: so um uh, restaurants uh, yeah a few retailers a few retailers i think the the spednat is almost sold out today okay we make nothing you know the project what's
2: nothing like two three hundred cases yeah 200
3: cases okay um because the project was less is less about massive production that to say maybe there is alternative if you farm properly and you care about these grapes you can make something that can be your table wine and because they are growing everywhere in the Finger fingerlex. You know, fingerlex is probably only 25% vinifera. The rest is hybrids and the rest is native. So it's a crazy amount of grapes growing that right. are destined to table, like table grape or jam or juice or all that. Some of them are organic. Some of them also needs less treatment. So why don't we try to do something with that instead of forcing nature with new hybrids or new stuff and new stuff Well, stuff are growing very well by them, like not by themselves, but... Our vineyard, where we get the grape from, it's probably one hundred years old. Like the vineyard is, the wow. vine probably one hundred years old.
2: So anybody it, would die for a vineyard like that. Yeah,
3: and so it's it's more it, it's more um, a, 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 a offering a new perspective. The idea is not to make money. The idea is just to say why not trying, right? Why not train farming properly and making the wine with you could do care. Do it anywhere. And so let's see the result.
2: So are there aspirations to take Shapeka and maybe try to make something somewhere else? or?
3: No, no, no. It's really over there. Like it's, it's really, Nathan is over there. Right. But no, if you can inspire He's, other people. We were inspired by Deirdre Hikin, like, like a register in Vermont and what she Vermont. was doing. So she planted her vineyard and worked with hybrid and make a super stuff. We decided just to say, hey, instead of trying to force something, why don't we try to work with what's grow well? Um, and make it good, right. uh, and so it's it's a, it's another way of thinking. I think about That's that. That's the
2: best thing for everyone. Great for the land. Great for the final product and all of that. Um, all right, one last thing, and I think we could do our little uh, wine list. And I'm very curious to see what you're drinking. Um, how's your book, The Dirty Guide to Wine, doing? my follow-up question really is, is it an ongoing project where at some point you'll update it or you've just been so busy with everything else?
3: I think we need to ask Alice about that. I'm not sure that the publisher wants to... I'm not sure. Uh, we would love to, but right. I'm not sure the publisher. So I know Alice has been working on a Japanese translation.
2: Oh, really? <laughs> so it's, okay. It's going to be in Japanese. So if you could grow the <laughs> book around the world, that would be great.
3: Yes, yeah, so that's, that's happening. Right um, now, yeah. And
2: let's just explain to people. The book's called The Dirty Guide to Wine. It's with Alice Fearing. And it is really a wine book that gets into how the dirt and the soils have an incredible effect on the wines. Is that a fair description? Give me a better one.
3: Yeah, no, no, it's a, it's a very good intro and just uh, saying the, discovering the world of wine not through the, the, the grape or the varietal, not right. through the appellation or history, but saying, oh, what underground matters. And we classified the world of wine through the three main soil types that you can find in the world. So suddenly you are connecting wine region. You were never connected otherwise because you would have never thought that the granite from the Muscadet can have something to do with the granite from the Rhône or the granite from Galicia and suddenly you are just designing new perspective for the way you taste wine
2: Right. it's it's this in depth a book about the soil and the rock and the stone that wine grows in and the effects that it has on the wine and it's so amazing in different areas and different types of stones and soils um, I recommend that I, we, we had you and Alice on the show I think about a year ago to talk about mm-hmm. the book Alright Pasca, while I have you here let's, let's subject you to our wine list And let's see what the hell You're drinking and doing We ask our guests the same five questions Don't obsess over these um, But give me your best answers And the first question is What are you drinking now? And that is for the restaurant, in your fridge, what you're curious about. Is it seasonal? What are the few things that you're drinking now, now? Not right here. (laughs) Now,
3: now. I'm drinking, I'm still drinking a lot of beer.
2: Beer? Oh, yeah. Okay, you like a certain kind of beer. Aren't you a sour beer fan? I am a sour beer fan. Okay, so you're drinking sour beer. You love Cantillon? I love Cantillon. What else? (laughs) Okay, so that's one answer. Give me a wine.
3: (laughs) my. My God, what I'm drink- uh, f- drinking. Drinking a, a lot of, um, oh, I'm going to be so boring, I'm, I'm drinking a lot of Shona right now.
2: Okay. Um, Are you trying new things, different producers, different yep, skews? Yeah,
3: a lot of new producer. Uh, no, I'm trying to explore a, a lot of the grapes. I was mentioning a lot of the Southwest uh, grapes, uh, drinking Verdicchio. I'm, I'm looking for alternative, for high-acid uh, grape variety, so it's what I'm, I'm, I'm drinking a lot. High-acid with structure and bone. So more, because
2: they're good food wines, they're good food wines. They are great for, for, the for pairing. Absolutely, so right.
3: exploring exploring Austria, exploring Switzerland, exploring like northern Italy, like like all the kind of under under radar white grape variety. Yeah.
2: All right. So here's the second question um, falls right in, and I'm very curious to compare this to the first time you came on. What is Pascaline's favorite wine and food pairing? Now, it's not something that you eat 50 times a year, but what resonates with you? What's a great pairing? What was oh wow, ooh la la to you? Oh
3: my God, there are so many. Such a tough Well, give one. me any. Tough one. You, you know we have a
2: grape nation rule. No champagne and oysters. <laughs> okay, give me something else.
3: No champagne and oyster. What did I do recently that I found really mind-blowing? You know what? I have just so many.
2: Give me anything. Uh, hmm, hmm, hmm,
3: hmm. Oh, uh, I, uh, I. First, uh, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I got it. I got it. I got it. Uh, I did. Um, okay, it's it was. Uh, it's going to be sounds fancy, but uh, I did this really cool, uh, really mind blowing uh, workshop with Steven Ramirez from the T Dealers, and we we paired um, caviar and a different, five different Puerh tea and champagne. What is that? Oh, Puerh tea.
2: P-U-E-R. P-u- yeah, E-R.
3: yeah, yeah. And we had... Ripe
2: a raw, and raw, a raw, both?
3: We had a raw Puerh tea. Uh, raw Puerh. With pu-her-tea. caviar? With caviar. And that was mind-blowing. It That's was... a
2: good pair? Yes. See, I'm a big Puerh tea aficionado, a... ripe and uh-huh. raw. Uh-huh. I'm trying to think of...
3: Oh, it's it was it was really special. There was such a still a brininess in that poor hair uh, that, and there was a kind of a muddiness. You also have on it like it was just something really mind blowing. I was really really happy. Like not everybody can do that every day, but uh, I'm exploring that now with Diego with other. Um,
2: you with know her. that this is our hundredth show, really our hundred first mm. show. Nobody's ever given that answer before. You know <laughs> that, right? <laughs> Poo <laughs> or tea and caviar. <laughs> For shit sure, okay? <laughs> but that's a good one. All right, third question. Um, when you uh, you work very hard, you travel, you've been competing, tests, all that, um, your favorite wine restaurant and or bar? And you don't have to be careful. I don't want you to include or exclude anybody. Just who's doing it well, you know, where are you are comfortable, you know, your sensibilities. Can you... Here? In New York? Or in I North? guess New York.
3: Um... I think one of the best best pro right now in New York uh, is I really like Michael Engelman. I think Michael is yeah.
2: a as a wizard.
3: Yeah, I think Mike has an extraordinary wine culture. The, the food as the Modern is really, really top, top. The wine list is really massive, meat on the classic side, but still extraordinary and yeah. well created and well priced. So, I know where I go there. I was going to have really, really a great experience. After that, I know my friend Linda Villaguna is down in Nashville, and she's doing like something cool stuff there. And I'm like doing wine. Wait, say that. So my in, in me, Nashville, in Nashville, restaurant yeah. or a bar? It's it's a restaurant. What's think, it called? I think it's called the Catbird.
2: Catbird. Uh, yeah, and I think, I she's think there, you're right.
3: I think she's there for she's there just like for a couple of months, and she's just doing wine pairing. And she uh, she's a girl that doesn't like to do wine pairing. And I know if she does it, it must be just insane. So I was like, man, I wish I can go to Nashville to see what you are doing, girls, down. Because
2: that's pretty uh, enticing. That, yeah. All right. Um, give me if you had 10 hours in Paris and it was late in the afternoon and you can go someplace for wine first. Is there any place that pops into your mind?
3: Oh, there is a lot. Um, can I do? Can I go to multiple? Can I just do a little like anywhere? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there is that new place that I went last time. I was in Paris like last like two weeks ago. Uh, really great, called go Get. Uh, it's Spell. Like, go Get, G- Goguette. Spell. Goguette. G J O J U E T T E. Great. Uh, just by uh, Le Cirque d'Hiver. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so you have that. So you can go there, and then you cross and you go to Clown Bar. Clown Bar has been around for a few subway, years. Yeah, the subway, and then you go to Ventre. So you can have an early bite with Marco Pelletier. And then one of the places I really like to go to, because it's open super late and seven days a week, and it's by uh, the train station of uh, Montparnasse. So when I go to Paris to go to my parents, I will stop in Montparnasse. Uh, it's called Le Petit Sommelier. The Le Petit Sommelier. And it's uh, my friend Pierre, and he has really an awesome list. Uh, really, really cool. And it's kind of really just basic brasserie, French great food. And you have a lot of wine from the world, too. You have old vintage, super cool price. And when you're lost in Paris, that's really great to know that this kind of
2: place exists. So that's how you answer that question. We just gave you a whole night or a couple of nights' worth of the best stops. All right, jump to the next question. I don't know if you could answer this with a single answer or multiple answers. And it's not the most expensive or rare wine but what's what's a favorite all-time wine of yours sometimes it's the experience not the wine what what comes to mind
3: yeah um, a wine that has some light and is alive it's a very complicated stuff to feel but I think today
2: can you state something specific
3: right now um, I'm some of the some of the Julien Courtois wine does that a lot for me. It's from the Loire too. There is some Pinot.
2: Is Julien or- the Courtois the maker? Yeah, but spell Courtois for me. C-O-U-
3: C-O-U-R-T-O-E-S. Okay,
2: I I will post that. Um, what kind of wine is it?
3: It's an organically farmed so souther wine. It's a pinot. but okay. there is. I'm looking for light today in my wine. Right. I'm, I'm for that vibrancy.
2: Right that's what's important to you okay um last question i think you can answer this um best wine retail around 15 to 20 bucks give me a white give me a red i'm sending my uh 20 something kid to a party we don't want to give him a crappy bottle of 11 dollars wine he doesn't have 40 so he's spending 15 18 21 bucks what red are you going to put him on what white you can give me a a uh, uh, region Muscadet you can give me a grape you can give me a maker you can give me all of that yeah
3: so right now uh, I would say uh, for that price Domaine Eos Laguerre S- so it's it's like uh, Eric Laguerre Domaine Eos in the Côte du Roussier Spell Domaine Eos uh, sorry Domaine it's, uh, Laguerre it's okay. L-A-G-U-E-R-R-E and the cuvee is Eos Okay. Uh, extraordinary white in and red. In that price range? It's like 12 bucks. By so then, I mean, red
2: and white. Red and just white. stay with that guy.
3: That's the wines are just insane.
2: You answered that question um, uh, with one maker. That's perfect. All right, Pasco, we're going to wrap up the show. I asked you if you'd be so kind enough to bring in a wine. Um, every week we do a segment. We end the show with a weekly wine sip. We taste a different wine on air. Tell me what you brought in, and then let's give it a quick taste and evaluation. This is something very special, you told me. (laughs) So let's start glugging, glug, glugging this. Amanda, do you want to come in and try this?
3: Yes, yeah, so I thought because we're at here at Roberta's I will bring the you The colors
2: amazing. <laughs>
3: I will bring you a pizza wine. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a Pinot Denis from the Loire. So Pinot Denis this is very rare grape that you find mostly on the eastern part of the Loire but also has a real big history in my around Angers in my region. And that's wine by Benoît Courot, one of my dear friends. Benoît attended the same sommelier school than me, but he went into wine and I went into sommelier. And we know each other since 15 years. Wow. Uh, One of my favorite guys, extraordinary farmers, amazing winemaker. And he replanted Pinot d'Onis on échalas, on schist, like something crazy. And because it's young vine, he decided to make a rosé. And he made a couple of cases of rosé for that really awesome pizza place in Angers. So if you happen to go to the wine fair in Angers, there is a place called Ambraun Folk. That's spell for me. Ambraun B R I N space F O L K. So, Ambraun okay. Folk, like a, and <laughs> he made that that really great Pinot Denise Rosé from young vine for this pizza place with nothing.
2: And tell me on the label <laughs> what the name is.
3: It's called un brin f- fuck on the label. Right. So, of course, the label F-U-C-K. was not authorized off- here. Right. So, we kind of sneak in a secret label that we post, like, we, 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 we glue back new labels. Right. <laughs> to get so, you it can in. get it
2: through. All right. So, let's let's look and taste this wine. So, the color is this gorgeous, rosé, pinkish, salmonish, right?
3: Yeah. So, Pinot Denis can be a, quite pale. So Pinot Onis nice is P-I-N-E-A-U, nothing to do with Pinot Noir. Right. Nothing to do. Pinot is kind of a word for grape. So it means a grape from Onis. It's a very peppery grape. Not very... Peppery? Thin, it's very peppery.
2: All right. So color, it's pale, but it's got some nice color. Um, give me nose descriptors. Is pepper in the nose or is...
3: It, uh, oh, I think so. It's, it's also still quite uh, quite young and delightful. Um you get some very, very ripe uh, uh, vine peach uh, on the nose. A um, um, really tiny, tiny bit of like almost gardenia. Right. Like that white paper is behind. Right. Uh, you have know, a feeling of like almost unkissed thing. And a bit of like ibiscus tea.
2: Right. Yeah. Very interesting in that sense. Now mouthfeel, there's some acidity there. <laughs> and it's a medium. It's got a nice body to it, right?
3: Yeah, you are in the loire. You are in the loire. Uh, this was a ripe vintage from the loire um, now, so it's, uh, yeah, it was a uh, 2017. I need a little more of that. <laughs> so, right vintage, you get that kind of super nice, lush uh, attack. So, you feel like really crunching that yes. vine peach. And then you get this acidity uh, coming through, like almost like white raspberry, hibiscus, finishing savory with that white paper. There is maybe one or two grams of residual sugar. When you
2: say white paper.
3: Paper. Uh, like paper.
2: just, just when you smell and taste a piece of paper is that what you're describing Uh,
3: sorry i'm like it's my super terrible accent like it's like black crack paper oh pepper
2: (laughs) i'm like paper oh white pepper which is more spicy but more subtle than black pepper um, thank God that came at the end of the show, because I would have felt so terrible if it was at the beginning. So it's got that white pepper, which again is a little more, yeah. it's the spice, but a little more subtle. in So that think song.
3: about that wine with a beautiful base of ripe tomato and like mozza mm. and all the basil and oregano and thyme. Like that's, that's, that's the pairing? That's a pizza wine. Oh, but yeah, but you can also so white pizza. So pizza for sure. But it's made for a pizza place.
2: But what, it, right. <laughs> what about can you eat this with sliced mozzarella and tomatoes oh, yeah. and basil yeah, not you, not on the pizza that's
3: such a summertime
2: wine like you okay, are okay what craving. else like, um, what about meal stuff meal uh, stuff
3: um, but meats
2: chicken fish
3: yeah chicken like you can definitely include chicken uh, you will maybe post it with something quite okay. light I will, you can bring a tiny bit of sweetness or spice you can almost like make it like a, a very light uh, Thai mix but not too spicy right that would be super nice because there is a natural sweetness in that wine uh, just also just like grill grill red snapper or like really it could hold
2: up to the grilling absolutely. and the fishiness no, it's, it's not no, a fishy from, fish but not, the fish and all yeah. that yeah I think the acidity is good it's pretty versatile
3: it's super versatile yeah, yeah. I,
2: I'm very happy Lams. with a Roberta's pizza and a bottle of this <laughs> you you had me sold on that um, all right so just let's tell everybody one more time you can do a better job than me what we're drinking again yes
3: yeah, so it's Benoit Coureau.
2: Spell his last name.
3: C-O-U-R-A-U-L-T. Okay. Uh, it's called Un Brun Fuc.
2: Fuc is totally, F-U-C-K. Absolutely.
3: Right. Stable wine. It's a Pinot de Nice, and it's made in uh, um, next to Angers, in the Anjou region. Which is
2: where you grew, grew up. up. <laughs> and not easy to find, right?
3: <laughs> Sorry, I don't is, think there is any left with that rustic. a <laughs> bit of
2: a unicorn, so... Um, it's a treat, but I think it's fair that we can tell people to seek out Pinot de Anise.
3: Seek out Pinot de It's an it's amazing a grape. Wine. Please, please, please buy Pinot de right. It needs to survive so that, in the war. That, that's yeah. our
2: message. All right, Pascaline, we're going to wrap up. We covered a lot. Um, if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at the grape nation.com. That's sam at the grape nation.com. You can follow us on Facebook at the grape nation. Follow us on Instagram at SBenRuby and the hashtag the grape nation. On Twitter, we're at ben Ruby and the hashtag the grape nation. Also, you can subscribe to the grape nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Amanda's going to put those up tonight. Um, so you could listen again. We'll post, as I said earlier, Pascaline's wine list, all her answers, and I will give you the very specifics of the wine that we tasted um, on all our, sh- all our social media sites. Pascaline, where can we find you on social media? Where can we find Racine's?
3: Uh, yeah, you can find us, uh, you can find me on, on Instagram uh, at Pascaline Le Pelletier uh, right. or Racine and Y or like it's R-A-C-I-N-E-S-N-Y-C.
2: R-A-C-I-N-E-S-N-Y-C yeah
3: absolutely Wrestling and y-
2: Twitter your P. Lapeltier. yep yep. Um, so Pascaline does not sit still she's a fun person to follow she doesn't overpost, but you get a sense of what she's doing when you follow her alright I want to thank um, our guest Pascaline Lapeltier. I want to thank Pascaline for coming in to celebrate our 100th <laughs> In one. In <laughs> one show. Um, the first of a
3: newer, Pascaline, new... Pascaline,
2: you're one of the few guests, you're in good company with Isabelle on that have been on the show three times. Well, Isabelle came for the first Raw Wine Fair, then I had her back for the second and the third. Okay. I sought you out at Isabelle's uh, Raw Wine Fair first, mm-hmm. and you were gracious enough to get back to me when we were first doing the show, and we became friends since. Yep. Um, when you came out with the book, I yeah. tracked you down, and then when it came time for the 100th show, I didn't want to celebrate with anyone else. So, thank you to Pascaline, thank you to our engineer Amanda, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation.